Welcome to the International Trade Minute, quickfire trade news, where time is trade. We are your go-to podcast for rapid and concise updates on trade and law, designed specifically for busy trade professionals, sponsored by Rydell Law Firm and prepared by seasoned trade attorneys, our twice-weekly podcast packages your essential trade updates, all in the time it takes to enjoy your coffee break. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and join the conversation with a network of like-minded professionals on LinkedIn, where time is trade, make every minute count. In today's episode, we have a plethora of news that showcases the dynamics of global commerce, regulations, and the ever-evolving relationship between nations. Let's get started. First up, we're unpacking a new survey that's revealed some seismic shifts for U.S. companies operating in China. A realignment of the global business landscape seems to be underway. A fresh survey from the U.S.-China Business Council, or USCBC, has given us a glimpse into the minds of major U.S. firms. And let me tell you, the mood isn't entirely optimistic. Over a third of the U.S. companies surveyed have either paused or scaled back their investments in China. This comes against the backdrop of growing U.S.-China tensions. Pessimism about doing business in China is at an all-time high with 28% of companies surveyed expressing a negative five-year outlook, a sharp increase from previous years. And it's not just about sentiment. Real commercial decisions are being impacted. More than half of those surveyed said they've lost sales because of uncertainties surrounding supply continuity. Even nationalism is playing a role, with 33% of companies claiming they've lost sales due to its rising influence on Chinese consumers. And here's the kicker. The survey highlights that the primary factor behind this outlook isn't economic, but geopolitical. A whopping 77% of respondents mentioned geopolitics as a concern affecting their long-term strategies in China. But it's not all gloom and doom. There's a silver lining here. Since the survey was conducted, both the U.S. and China have ramped up diplomatic efforts, which include establishing info exchanges on export controls and launching new working groups on trade issues. And travel is becoming easier, too, with an increase in direct flights between the two nations. This move is expected to ease commercial links, and China, sensing the mood, seems to be taking steps. The survey was conducted just before China introduced 24 measures addressing foreign companies' concerns. This includes initiatives like granting equal treatment to foreign enterprises and government procurement. However, the USCBC has wisely suggested exercising caution, emphasizing that Chinese policy implementation should be consistent across the board. This definitely something to watch out for. The shifting sands of U.S.-China trade relations will undeniably have ripple effects across global markets. Next, we've got a significant update regarding global export controls and sanctions targeting Russia. On September 26th, the E5 partnership comprising the United States, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom released new guidance, which includes a list of 45 prioritized harmonized system codes for items Russia needs for its weapon systems. Now, this list is divided into four tiers, with the first two being particularly sensitive, covering integrated circuits and various electronics items tied to wireless communication and satellite-based radio navigation, among others. Tier 3 includes 25 HS codes covering a variety of electronics components, from television cameras and telecommunications equipment to aircraft parts and navigational equipment. Tier 4 includes 11 HS codes covering manufacturing, production, and quality testing equipment for electric components and circuits. Now here's the crucial part. 
Exporters are strongly encouraged to conduct additional due diligence when encountering one of the listed HS codes to ensure end-user legitimacy and mitigate attempts to evade the E5's respective export controls and or sanctions. The list will be updated as required, and it's essential to stay informed about these changes. The guidance also touches upon patterns associated with importers in non-global export control coalition countries that raise diversion concerns. Some red flags include a company that never received exports prior to February 24, 2022, or a significant spike in exports after that date from the high-priority Tier 1 and Tier 2 HS codes listed in the guidance. It's crucial for exporters to conduct customer and transactional due diligence to address these diversion patterns prior to export. Evaluating the customer's date of incorporation, the end user, and end use of the item, and checking the consistency of the customer's line of business with the ordered items are some of the steps that should be taken. For existing customers, exporters should pay particular attention to any unusual increase in the volume or value of orders. Additional information about the end use and end user should be requested and reviewed, and any inconsistencies between the items ordered and the customer's line of business should be noted. The guidance also lists new transactional and behavior red flags, including transactions related to payments for defense or dual-use products from a company incorporated after February 24, 2022, and based in a non-GICC country, and a new customer whose line of business is in trade of products associated with the Tier 1 or 2 HS codes. Importantly, failure to comply with these recommendations can result in serious consequences, including reputational harm, future business relationship challenges, fines, and or criminal charges. It's vital for companies to know the laws and their obligations. On to our next story, the latest in the ongoing issues surrounding Mexico's genetically modified corn and its place in the USMCA trade agreement. According to Mexican Economy Minister Raquel Buenrostro, the panel that's weighing in on whether Mexico's policy on biotech corn contravenes USMCA rules is set to make a determination by March 2024. Now, this announcement came during a press conference in Washington following the recent high-level economic dialogue meetings on September 29th. When U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai was questioned about the biotech corn discussion with Minister Buenrostro, she confirmed that while they covered several subjects, the corn issue was not one of them. The matter, she stated, has now been handed over to legal teams, emphasizing the delegation of this crucial agricultural concern. Despite bypassing the corn discussion, Tai did bring attention to the significance of addressing the rising concerns over the recent surge in Mexican exports of specific steel and aluminum products to the United States. Both Tai and Buenrostro acknowledge the vital need for boosting steel and aluminum trade monitoring efforts and are pushing towards the reinstatement of Mexico's export monitoring regime. Other highlights from the press conference included statements from Secretary of State Antony Blinken focusing on improved border coordination and the introduction of a model port. This pilot project is aimed at streamlining inspections and reducing wait times, thus enhancing the ease for legal goods and individuals to cross the border, all while bolstering the fight against fentanyl trafficking. Ensuring faster cargo movement is also a priority, as iterated by Mexican Foreign Secretary Alicia Barcena. The vision is to automate all cargo processing, aiding in quicker, more efficient cross-border trade operations. As we await the panel's decision on the genetically modified corn policy, the commitment of both Mexican and U.S. officials to address various interconnected trade issues remains apparent. Next up is a big one for the semiconductor industry. The U.S. Commerce Department has just released its final version of the guardrails for the CHIPS Act funding, 
Last week, the Commerce Department revealed the measures it said will prevent its semiconductor industry grants from being used to benefit certain foreign countries of concern, including China. This 68-page final rule will place significant restrictions on the use of CHIPS Act funding. Here's what you need to know. First up, funding recipients are now prevented from using the money to invest in most semiconductor manufacturing in foreign countries of concern for 10 years after the date of award. The rule limits funding recipients from conducting certain joint research or technology licensing efforts with a foreign entity of concern. Despite some critics calling the term foreign entities of concern too broad, the Commerce Department is keeping its definition, which includes parties on the entity list and other denied party lists. The agency believes funding recipients will exercise appropriate diligence to identify entities that fall within this criteria. For those wondering about the term significant transaction, the department is rescinding its proposed definition. It will now define significant transactions for each funding recipient in their agreements with commerce. This move came after feedback that the initially proposed $100,000 threshold was too low, given the high capital costs associated with semiconductor manufacturing. In terms of compliance, the Commerce Department will require funding recipients to submit notifications for any planned significant transactions involving the expansion of semiconductor manufacturing capacity in a foreign country of concern for a period of 10 years. And there's more clarity provided for the term existing facility, addressing concerns related to facilities undergoing construction, expansion, or modernization, which may still be considered existing facilities under specified conditions. The rule also introduces tighter restrictions on a list of semiconductors classified as critical to national security. These are chips with unique properties crucial to U.S. national security needs, including chips used for quantum computing and in radiation-intensive environments. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo has emphasized the CHIPS Act as fundamentally a national security initiative. The guardrails will ensure that companies receiving U.S. government funds do not undermine national security, aligning with efforts to strengthen global supply chains and enhance collective security. This final rule is part of a comprehensive approach to bolster the resilience and security of critical supply chains, a vital move to safeguard technological and economic leadership and national security. Now, about the implications of the U.S. Treasury's recent executive order on outbound investments. Last August, we saw the Treasury Department shake things up with its executive order on outbound investment restrictions. These looming regulations have dealmakers on edge, especially concerning U.S. investments in China's rapidly evolving quantum tech, AI, and semiconductor industries. While many anticipated a mirrored system to the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., or CFIUS, which vets foreign investments for national security risks, the Treasury seems to be leaning towards a complete prohibition in these tech sectors. David Crosby, a seasoned CFIS lawyer and former U.S. Patent Office official, compared the new system to an export control regime. According to him, this approach might be a mistake, citing the potential hurdles for investors. In his words, there's no way for you to get certainty. Crosby underlines the desire for clarity. Investors navigating CFI use can often get direction through filings or other means. But with the new outbound regulations, this clarity seems elusive, leaving investors grappling with doubts. But it's not all doom and gloom. While the Biden administration promises guidance from experts, the responsibility of ensuring a deal's legitimacy falls squarely on the parties involved. Larry Ward, another CFI use expert, emphasized that the definition of AI presents potential compliance challenges, stating AI has a pretty expansive catch to it. Many non-traditional tech companies might inadvertently find themselves under its umbrella. 
for David Lynch of Sayari, due diligence practices remain largely unchanged. He notes a lot can be done by simply mapping ownership structures and mapping investment flows. However, the catch is in the details. Differences in naming conventions between the English trade name and the registered name in China can trip up even the most diligent. One major concern, the vast number of subsidiaries indirectly connected to watch-listed companies. As Lynch puts it, this creates a potentially dangerous operating environment. To wrap up, the Treasury's upcoming decisions are crucial. Crosby believes the absence of a mechanism to pre-vet outbound investments may further complicate the landscape for American investors. National security remains paramount, but achieving it while facilitating smooth trade requires a delicate balance. We continue by looking into a pressing topic that's gaining momentum in the legislative halls of the United States, the Reinforcing American-Made Products Act. This bipartisan bill, reintroduced by Senator Mike Lee, a Republican from Utah, and independent Senator Angus King, aims to bring uniformity to the Made in the USA labeling, overriding the more stringent California standards. According to California law, products with any foreign-made part cannot be labeled made in the USA. The proposed federal legislation, however, advocates for the Federal Trade Commission's more lenient standard, which allows products to be labeled as made in the USA as long as they are virtually all made in the country. In a news release, Senator King said, the Reinforcing American-Made Products Act would ensure that a made in the USA label is a simple, straightforward way to help consumers make informed decisions about the products they intend to buy. This bill, identical to one introduced in the House by Rep. John Curtis, R. Utah, on September 19th, would amend the federal statute to ensure the FTC standard supersedes any state provisions relating to made in the USA or made in America labeling. The language in the bill also assures that states may enforce this federal standard. As the debate continues, the implications for consumers and manufacturers alike hang in the balance. Advocates argue for consumer clarity and national consistency, while critics fear a dilution of standards. A fascinating development in the world of international trade and domestic labeling. We'll certainly keep an eye on this as it progresses. On to our last story for today. We're diving right into a jewelry duty evasion case right out of New Jersey. It seems that glitter isn't the only thing sparkling in the world of jewelry. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of New Jersey has announced a significant settlement involving a prominent New Jersey jewelry company. The company, 21st Millennium, and two of its key players, Iqbal Varani and Akib Varani, have admitted to evading customs duties on their gold jewelry imports. Now, just to give some context, from 2017 to 2020, 21st Millennium acted as the importer of record for over 80 jewelry shipments from unnamed foreign countries. And here's the twist. The Varanis, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office, supplied their customs brokers with false information, essentially undervaluing the total worth of the imported jewelry. The numbers? Well, they admitted to skirting around a whopping $400,000 in customs duties. But the settlement goes even beyond that. The company, along with the Varanis, will pay a total of $1 million to the U.S. government. Breaking it down, 21st Millennium will shell out $800,000, while both Iqbal and Akib Varani will each contribute $100,000. And there's more to this settlement. Beyond the financial penalties, 21st Millennium has also agreed to properly mark any merchandise that the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, had seized with the accurate country of origin. Additionally, they'll file any additional entry documents if needed. It's a hefty penalty and serves as a clear message to companies involved in international trade. Due diligence is essential, and cutting corners could come at a significant cost. Thank you for joining us on International Trade Minute. 
your rapid source of trade updates for busy trade professionals. And we hope to have you back for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe.